This episode is sponsored by Angular Dev Summit, coming September 11th through the 18th, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Angular community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Rob Wormald, Jeff Welpley, and others coming to speak about all kinds of topics in Angular. So if you're trying to learn Angular or you're trying to level up Angular, come check it out. The talks are happening throughout the day each day and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to angulardevsummit.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another MyJS story. This week, we're going to be talking to Chris Anderson from Microsoft. Now, Chris was on episode 98 of Adventures in Angular, talking about the Azure Functions portal. And we also talked to him at Build last year, Microsoft Build, about Azure Functions. Chris, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly and just tell people a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure, yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Chris Anderson from Microsoft. I work on the Azure Functions team as a program manager. In the time that I'm not, you know, going off and doing my day job here at Microsoft, I'm also, you know, big Node.js fan, do a lot of JavaScript stuff. Really kind of been the, my background. It's been, you know, a fun adventure here at Microsoft doing various JavaScript things. It's been really fun to see how things have uh, grown over the last few years. Nice. Well, we kind of go back a little bit ways in, in this show and we ask some questions about how you got into programming and JavaScript and things like that. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in. How did you get into programming? Right. So I mean, in college, I was an aerospace engineer, actually, when I first started. And I always like to joke that I chose aerospace engineering because I was just looking through all the various engineering degrees they had. And aerospace started with A. So I just chose the first one on the list. <laughs> there you go. I ended up getting an internship at Lockheed Martin through a, a college work program. It was really, really great experience. But what I ended up doing there was mainly managing a giant Excel sheet full of requirements. And what I ended up learning was Visual Basic for Applications <laughs> to help manage that giant Excel sheet. And in the process of learning just how Visual Basic itself worked at the time, uh, I realized that I just really liked programming more than the actual classes I was taking at the time. So I uh, took a summer course on uh, intro to C programming at my university, and it just kind of like snowballed from there. I remember I finished that semester. I went to my advisor and was like, hey, I want to switch and graduate with computer science in two years because I'll be broke if I don't. And it was just a big <laughs> nice. rush from there. I remember like I had that first year, I swapped my internship over to software instead and immediately jumped into kind of front end uh, JavaScript land, building like a client app they had for their website. And uh, then the real clicking moment for me was I was in a topics class at university. Uh -huh. And one of the uh, people came up to talk about how awesome Node.js was and how it was kind of like this new thing that people were doing that you could, you know, write the normal JavaScript you were doing in the client, but now you could use it on the server and all the various cool things about it being single threaded, et cetera. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. I'll try that out. I really like JavaScript. And that kind of started just a, a passion for me. I, I never really stopped after I went home and kind of installed Node.js the first mm -hmm. time. So what was it, though, about programming that really got you going there? Was it, oh, I get to build cool stuff? Or was it solving hard problems? Or yeah, I mean, what, what was the appeal that got you going? Well, you know, maybe aerospace isn't quite my thing. I think for me, it was definitely that sense that it was like I had superpowers. Mm -hmm. When I was in aerospace, you know, I learned about how everything worked. Like I understood the way the, the world worked. Like I, when I'm on a plane and I see the wings flexing outside, I understand why that's a good thing, not a bad thing. But as far as like having that power to feel like I can actually create with, I, 
immediately I have that feedback loop of programming of like, I'm making progress, I'm making something cool. And I really don't feel restrained in the types of scenarios I can go chase after. You know, whenever people ask me, should I get into programming? I'm always like, yes, because whatever else you're passionate about, whether it's like, you know, writing books or, or biology or whatnot, you can still find ways of pushing forward in that field with, you know, programming computer science. So it's one of those kind of universal tool sets. And that's what really clicked for me. I really love that I can basically do whatever I wanted to from here. Yeah, that makes sense to me, too. And it was funny because when I got into programming and took it seriously, it was, yeah, it was there was a thing that I cared about, namely tech support at the job I was working at. And we had a specific set of problems and it just solved it. It like totally enhanced the way that we could get work done. And yeah, that was that was the thing that really paid off for me, too. And I had I was a computer engineering major. I had taken a bunch of computer science classes. I'd been coding on various devices since I was in junior high. And I just didn't think it was a serious thing until then. And that's what that's what clicked. So I, I totally identify with that. So somebody talked to you about Node and you thought Node, JavaScript, cool. Had you done JavaScript before that? Yeah. So, I mean, the the first real software, like, you know, when I swapped my major, I went to then my internship program and I asked, hey, give me some real coding stuff to do. VBA is, you know, fun, but I'd like to go work with like other software engineers. And they sent me to a project where they needed a lot of like front end development. And I hadn't done really any JavaScript. They're like, oh, it's, it's kind of like C. Uh, you'll figure it out. So, you know, I just did a lot of Stack Overflowing, a lot of Googling to kind of teach myself JavaScript on the job. Really, really loved it after, you know, a solid like nine months of kind of grinding at it and finally learning like the best practices, learning not to pollute the global namespace, all kinds of crazy fun <laughs> JavaScript things. I remember like I think six months down the line, I actually just started Googling what book should I read. And I like I think reading JavaScript, the good parts is what really kind of solidified in my head that, hey, JavaScript is actually a really, really fun language to use. There's really a lot of fun kind of patterns that I can follow in here mm -hmm. versus like the other language I'd been learning at the time was like Java, I think. And that was my next, you know, higher level language. And JavaScript, you know, just it it felt a lot more kind of natural and expressive to me, I remember thinking at the time. And so when, you know, finally someone introduced Node.js to me via that topics class we had, and I was already kind of falling in love with JavaScript, the, the ability to use JavaScript both on the client side and the server side, and now I was empowered to kind of do full stack before full stack was a buzzword. I really kind of just fell in love with that whole idea. Gotcha. So yes, yeah, so you get into JavaScript, you start doing work there. Was this at Microsoft or was this before Microsoft? This is all before Microsoft. I, I remember, so like the college hire process for Microsoft is like your senior year or the year that you're going to, before you graduate for college, you go and apply to the college hire program. They send people onto the campus, you interview on campus. And then if they like you, they send you to the Microsoft campus and you interview there. Mm -hmm. So like I was doing the whole process on the side of like starting off my other pieces that I was working at my internship at the time. And so like I got hired. That was great. I did, didn't really know the team that I got hired into, to be honest, when I first joined. Um, I knew it had something to do with databases, but I wasn't entirely sure what it was going to be. Uh, so I got here and it ended up being um, SQL Server was the, what they, the team they hired me into. And it wasn't really, you know, I had some degree of influence. I wanted to work on like developer tools. So that's kind of what they put me in. And from there, it was kind of fun because I joined there. I learned a lot about like how PowerShell and SQL works and all this kind of stuff that I didn't care about, honestly, before I joined Microsoft. Right. And then, you know, I found out how powerful all that stuff was. I still really love PowerShell. It's my preferred, you know, scripting kind of experience. I'm really glad that they're starting to move that stuff to other platforms now. And um, 
I, then I was like, okay, so now I'm going to push back and I'm going to try to push more Node.js on SQL. And so I remember like pushing really hard. There's a there's a driver for SQL Server um, that's kind of written purely in JavaScript called Tedious. Uh-huh. And they had problems with uh, supporting some of the TDS 1.2 protocol stuff. And so like I remember sending pull requests to them to help support that so we could go ahead and do redirects via the TDS protocol. A bunch of low-level database stuff. But I really, really loved that. And I was like, I wish I could do more of this. And so I did a internal job search. We have like a, something called HR Web here at Microsoft where I can just search for like a technology and find teams that want that technology. Uh-huh. And uh, I found the mobile services team at the time. Uh, and they needed Node.js people. So I joined that team. And that kind of snowballed into me starting on web jobs here in the team. And then that snowballed into me starting functions. And functions started as an effort to make Node.js work with an existing .NET technology called uh, WebJobs SDK. And, oh, interesting. Okay. And it, 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 uh, functions exist because I wanted to add Node.js to a .NET product. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I hear a lot of people compare Azure Functions these days to like AWS Lambda or I think IBM Lumix has a flavor of the same kind of thing. And Whisk, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's great stuff, and it's nice to be able to just say, okay, here's a little bit of logic, and off we go. And and yeah, that's kind of, it, yeah, it's kind of interesting just to hear this whole journey, right? And I think some people kind of have this idea about programming and people that work at places like Microsoft or Google or Facebook that they knew they were going to do software all their life, and, you know, they've been programming since they were four years old, and, you know, it, it you found it as an adult in college. Well, if you can call college kids adults. <laughs> and you, you decided, you know what, this is great. This is fun. And you took advantage of the opportunities that were presented to you. And that's how you got where you are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been the choice to go and take the intro to C course at my college. I look back on as being the second best choice between talking to my wife. Like, that's just been the biggest <laughs> change for me. Like, I was, I was, I went from, like, going through school just because I knew I needed a job to like now this thing that I was going to do for my job was now also my hobby and passion. Mm-hmm. Like if you fired me tomorrow, I'd still be working on some of the same things that I'm doing just out in the open source. Thanks to the fact that functions is open source. Yeah. One other thing that I kind of want to ask about is, and this is something, so I, I beat the, you don't have to be a programmer since you were two thing to death. I, I talk about it every episode of this show. But one thing that I think is interesting too is that you were in a position where you wanted to add essentially JavaScript to a .NET product. And you mentioned that you found other teams that might want it. But I mean, is, isn't that risky? A lot of people kind of get it in their head that, you know what, trying to you know push another language into a, a, a language ecosystem that already exists... You know, that that may not be a popular move. That may be something that people want to shy back from. Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is to just... The reason that I wanted to do it at the time is that we were looking to see how we can go ahead and increase adoption of this technology. Uh-huh. And the and this was totally not like a super well-funded and went up through like the whole approval chain. This is just me and a dev joking around about what we could do to improve adoption. So it's totally just a hack. Like, we do a lot of these things, at least in our team, where we just start a prototype of an idea and see where it goes. And that just ended up being one of those ideas that took on a life of its own. Like we've got, we kill nine ideas out of 10 that we have on our team, but we always come up with new things, try new things. And it's really just about kind of having fun thinking about what could potentially help customers, you know, reach more customers, help make those customers more productive. It, it sounds almost like you get to play at work. 
Yeah, I mean, the team culture we have on our team, we feel it's it's unique even with inside of Microsoft sometimes. You know, we're working in the open source, which makes things just very clean in terms of like all of our normally like sometimes you kind of get like buffered between talking to customers. So you have like as a developer in the team, you'll have like your PM who helps talk to customers, then you have your customers. On our team, it's almost the opposite. Sometimes I feel like our engineers talk to customers more often than I do because they spend so much time on GitHub talking to them and, and you know, directly interfacing with people through GitHub issues and things like that. It's really fun, and, and because they're working with customers so much, because everyone on the team is working that way, uh, we end up having a lot of crazy ideas because there's just so much interaction. It's kind of like it's kind of what I think people wanted from like open space concepts, where you have so much interactions between various different types of people. They end up with a whole kind of broad set of diverse ideas. Yeah, and and the way that you're describing things, I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people on like the Visual Studio Code team, and it sounds very similar to the way that they operate as far as yeah, talking to customers, and you know, they throw a whole bunch of ideas against the wall and see which ones stick, and you know, yeah, they're just out there to create great tools for people to get stuff done, and it's it's a bit different from the Microsoft that I kind of grew up in my programming career hearing about, you know, it was all closed and, and, and serious and, and evil and whatever, you know, it's, it, I don't know if it's a different Microsoft or if it's just, they're better at communicating what they're up to, but it's been really interesting to just see how open and excited Microsoft folks are about doing cool stuff for people that are working on the web. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I, I kind of point to open source is that, big move for us that really helped to to change the way I thought about working uh, for Microsoft. It's it's one of those things that not only does it empower our customers, but it makes life as a developer and person on the team better. Like it's it's a win-win. And I, I constantly push for more teams to be open source, be open source earlier and really use that as both a tool to make your job better as an individual on the team and help your customers out. Yep. That that totally makes sense. So you said that you're a product or project manager. Uh, program manager. Program it's a, manager. You can think of me as a product manager. We just like to use it. We were like the, I think Microsoft was one of the first companies to have that kind of product manager concept embedded in the engineering team. Uh-huh. But we did it and we called them program managers. And then we never changed the name once the rest of the industry decided to call them product managers. All right. So um, what does a program manager actually do then on the team? So for me, if, uh, if you ask me what they paid me to do, it's to go through there and think of, go through there, talk to customers, look at all the various issues we have, and basically prioritize them. Mm-hmm. It, that sounds really kind of boring <laughs> when I say it out loud like that. But really, uh, the way that I like to think of it is I'm doing whatever I can to basically make the product and our customers successful with our product. Uh, so, you know, I talk to a lot of customers, I go speak at conferences, I go and build samples. Um, I'm a fairly technical kind of PM. It's a so it might be a little bit unusual, but I also build a lot of prototypes. So if I have an idea for a new way that the product could work, I often go out there and just you know take a week or two to go off and build a prototype of an idea. And then we kind of work on it with the broader engineering team after that. So I kind of see it as like maybe product owner. I kind of feel like I'm often empowered to be kind of the entrepreneur on the team as well. So that sounds like fun. Um, yeah, it's a whole lot of fun. I've, t- I've talked to and worked with a ton of project managers and half of them weren't technical at all. And so, you know, if, if you'd asked them to explain what we actually did, you know, and then that made it hard, you know, they just wouldn't get it. But then, you know, the rest of them, some of them, 
have been out of the programming game for so long and they have no interest in actually, you know, understanding why we're making the decisions we're making. And, and that also makes it hard. So it's, it's really interesting and actually very refreshing to hear about organizations like Microsoft, you know, where it's, it feels like they could almost do whatever they want going out of their way to make sure that they have people who really get it working in their teams. Yeah. I mean, really having just a solid team is the base thing we try to do. Our team, we didn't like hire our team bespoke to go work on Azure Functions, for instance. Mm -hmm. We just kind of took all the great people we had around us and people who liked the idea kind of started parting on it with us. And it kind of, it almost grew naturally to an extent. You know, there was some push from management and stuff like that to kind of focus on it and things like that. But a lot of people really started choosing the things they wanted to work on just out of kind of like love of mm -hmm. what the things they were doing. That makes sense. So we had you on JavaScript Jabber and we talked about Azure Functions. Does the Azure Functions team actually use Azure Functions to make Azure Functions work? We don't actually use Azure Functions uh, to make Azure Functions work under the covers. Uh, for the most part, it's actually built on top of the app service technology stack. So okay. things like web apps and mobile apps, the stuff that powers that is kind of what powers um, functions. That makes sense. So like all of our, for instance, the, the UI that you actually see, which is actually an Angular 2 application, uh, or just Angular now. i got to get the branding in my head correctly. <laughs> I know. Because um, uh, Angular 4 is out now, so it's all Angular. Um, yeah, so the, I, I it's always correct myself when I say Angular 2. Angular 2 or 4 or later. Yeah, now in my head, like yeah. six months, it'll be, I'll be totally correct with it again. Just like we can't say Node.js V8, we have to say Node.js 8 now. Uh -huh. So, yeah, the, that's all running on t basically an app service web app underneath the covers. And a lot of our various engineering pieces are essentially uh, things on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, we do use functions for like a bunch of stuff within Microsoft itself. But building functions on top of functions um, doesn't feel entirely kosher, I guess. So we haven't come up with a use case where functions would help us manage functions. We test all of our test stuff, I guess, is built on functions. We use functions to test functions. Yeah, that would make sense. So, yeah, so the other episode that we've had you on, we had you and Ahmed yeah. come on uh, Adventures in Angular and talk about the portal which you built with AngularJS. And so I'm curious, how, how, did you, how did you and your team come to use Angular? So I remember, I think he told this story best. It ended up being just his kind of choice. At the time, the, we were kind of trying to take this prototype that me and Matthew Charles had been working on at the time for like what ended up becoming Azure Functions. And we wanted to come up with a portal UI for it. Mm -hmm. And so um, Ahmed uh, had quite a bit of experience kind of building, you know, front end applications and things along those lines. And he'd been wanting to try out what at the time was called Angular 2. And it was still and in beta, if at, I remember right. It was, it might have been just in beta. It was, it was one of those things where it was like incredibly early. We all kind of like looked at him like, are you sure that's the right choice? He's like, yeah, this seems like it's the best thing of the options at the time. Right. He looked at like React. He looked at a couple of other ones. And he kind of decided that, Angular had the right amount of stuff just out of the box for us. So we wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel for everything, but, you know, power and, and speed that we needed to have. Right. And he loved that it was TypeScript, which really helped because we have a lot of developers that are, you know, kind of coming from a strongly typed C-sharp background and TypeScript made it really easy for them to kind of, you know, play and work in that system. So the fact that uh, Microsoft sponsors TypeScript didn't come into that at all? I mean, it might have. I can't read his uh, brain, but he made the decision on his okay. own. So, like, there was no one coming from the TypeScript team saying, you should go use Angular. Um, in fact, we had people, 
who were like, why didn't you use this thing? Because we had a Microsoft framework. And we're like, yeah, we just wanted to use Angular at the time. So uh, we don't necessarily go and chase after just let's go do everything on the Microsoft stack. We tend to use, we tend to build things on the things that people know mm-hmm. on the team and that we think make the most sense kind of going forward. So like, for instance, like we're using gRPC and protobuf and like a new technology we have, which is entirely not a Microsoft technology. Mm-hmm. We're not entirely focused on the not invented here kind of thing. No, it just seems to me, though, that, you know, since you have people like uh, Anders um, and some of the other folks that work on TypeScript that, you know, you could kind of get the inside track and, you know, expert help, I guess, from yeah, I mean, Microsoft. And then we, like, we added TypeScript support to functions, which is kind of an early preview right now. And there we did get help from the TypeScript team. So okay. that was really helpful. But as far as like choosing what technology we built on, um, it might have factored into his uh, decision-making process that we own TypeScript, but I'm pretty sure that he just tried out all the various things and ended up liking TypeScript. TypeScript was built to kind of make Microsoft devs happy and productive, right? So it kind of makes yep. sense in my head that he would lean towards that choice. Yeah, that makes sense. And a lot of the Angular 2 beta examples, and still a lot of the Angular examples, are done in TypeScript. So it's kind of easy to just follow along if that's the direction yeah. you're going to go. And we ended up doing like one or two major refactorings that I'm sure they're all just like super grateful that they standardized in TypeScript early on for and not like, you know, plain old JS. Yep. So how much Angular have you done then? Or has it been all, all been Ahmed? So Ahmed's been doing most of the, the portal stuff. Ahmed and um, we also have like Alexi and Elliot um, as UX devs that party on. You can actually look at our repo and kind of see all the various people who, from our team who work on stuff. Since I'm a PM, I work really hard on making sure that I don't write any code that actually goes into production just because it kind of keeps the hats on the right heads. But I'll go ahead and like write prototypes for things like that. So like I played a lot with um, the Monaco editor, which is a browser-based version of the VS Code editor that you can yep. play with. Like They've got a cool playground there, and I've built a lot of prototypes of using features inside of that. Um, but for the most part, I try not to make sure that my commits actually go to production because I'm not there to support them because it's not my job to provide support for software. Right. Um, I have built a couple of tutorials for using functions plus Angular and, and stuff along those lines. I built my wedding website with uh, Angular when that came out. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've played with it quite a bit. I help customers who use Angular quite a bit. Um, but I definitely haven't put it into production because I, I make it a point not to push code into production because I don't, I don't get paid to support it. Right. No, that makes sense. So do you have any extracurricular things that you do with code when you're not working on Azure Functions? You know, for a long time, I did a lot of stuff of just like cool side projects. Like, uh, you know, I built a, a couple of plugins to make like ex, uh, was Express, Socket.io, and like um, and uh, the Connect middleware stuff all work well together. But, you know, as Functions kind of taken off, it's definitely taken over more of my life and attention. I've, I always joke that it's my baby. <laughs> I poured a lot of my blood into the product at this point. So I, I spent a lot of time at, like outside. Like I wrote a, a Connect middleware type thing for uh, like functions-based uh, things, so that way you can go ahead and write middleware into your functions and things like that. And it's been fun. Um, built a lot of just you know small little like game websites that I just put up on my GitHub and then never actually <laughs> follow through on. Uh, it's it's still one of those things that I always wish that I could just have two of me, one of me to go and chase off and be a developer full time, and one of me to keep on doing the product stuff that I like doing because I. I get to see so many cool things working in the product space, like all the various fun things that our customers build and stuff like that. So it's really, I always feel like I want to just kind of switch hats independently all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. I usually ask people what they feel like they've contributed to the JavaScript and Angular community. 
And I think a lot of yours are probably going to be tied up around Azure Functions, but are, are there things in particular that you feel like you've contributed one way or another? I mean, specifically to like Angular and um, and like just plain old JavaScript, probably not so much. I've, I've definitely you know used a lot of Angular. We gave some feedback from our team uh, to Angular early on as we were building the process out. Um, but for the most part, like the things that I've done has just been like I've made lots of tiny little pull requests to tons of JavaScript libraries and things like that. Like mm-hmm. I helped improve TDS. I helped improve a couple of like Node.js libraries for Azure stuff. Um, you know, things along those lines. For the most part, you know, I always feel like I should, I'd like to be like more involved early on in those processes of like, I, I, I always kind of, I think my next dream is going to be to actually go and contribute something to the next like node version review, something that would be fun for me. I really like seeing a lot of the community stuff they have going on in the, in the node development area. Cool. I guess the last thing I'm going to ask you for is pick. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in JavaScript. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got JavaScript Jabber all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've created a Slack community for JavaScript Jabber. That means that you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at javascriptjabber.com slash slack. And picks, you've been on the show, so you kind of get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that you want to shout out about? Yeah. So, I mean, one big thing I thought of, I thought of ahead this time, because last time I was kind of a deer in the headlights. So I mm-hmm. thought this through. I think my three picks are going to be Mountain Dew Pitch Black Soda. It's a limited edition Mountain Dew. They had it when I was a, a teenager or whatever, and I finally found it again in my local grocery store. I can't find it in any of the other grocery stores in the area. So if you see it in your grocery store, it's limited edition. And it's basically just great Mountain Dew. But as a person who really loves grape soda, but also likes caffe- caffeinated sodas, mm-hmm. it's a great kind of mix of the two. The other thing is, I don't know if you've seen it, there's the uh, Expanse series that's been on Sci-Fi. Um, which is based off of the Expanse book series by James S.A. Corey. And I finally managed to uh, find the fifth book in the series and half price books last night. So I'm going to go finish that one off. And it's really been a great series. I hear the sci-fi series itself is also good, but I have been kind of, I'm going to wait till it's all done so I can binge watch it all in one (laughs) go. (laughs) Um, And I guess the other thing that I've been playing around with a lot in my various prototypes has been um, on Azure, we have this service called Application Insights. And I've really just been enjoying using that to basically instrument the hell out of everything. Uh, so I can have basically data for every little thing. So like functions, I can have that stuff embedded in it. My um, front end, like JavaScript sites, can use their front end libraries to have data through there. Mm-hmm. And so I can literally get insights into what every little part of my application is doing and exploring all the graphs that I can make from it and that kind of stuff. That's been a real delight. I've really been enjoying that. Very cool. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks of my own. Uh, The first one is uh, there's a book series that I've been listening to on Audible again called The Wheel of Time. And uh, yeah, I've I've been enjoying it. I tend to listen to books as I go to sleep. And I can really only do that with books that I have heard before or read before because I don't want to miss any part of the story. So um, I've been listening to The Eye of the World which is the first book in the series again. And uh, I've really been enjoying that. A few other books that I've read that I've really enjoyed as well. 
Um, one is called, um, and I'm in the middle of this one, it's called Coolidge, and it's a, it's a biography of Calvin Coolidge, uh, the <laughs> president of the United States. And uh, that's been kind of interesting to listen to as well. And then the other one I'm going to pick is Dog Company. And this one, if, if you care about how military people are treated, it's going to tick you off. But it's kind of an interesting view into uh, the war in Afghanistan and some of the rules of engagement and how they helped or hindered the, mostly hindered, our armed forces over there. But anyway, really, really interesting stuff. And then I've just been playing with some tools lately. And one of them that I've been getting into and liking is Datadog. You mentioned application insights. Datadog yeah. is, uh, I don't think it has nearly the features that you get off of application insights. But it's nice just to be able to, at a glance, see a whole bunch of information about all of the different servers I have because I just customized the dashboard and set it up. And so I had a server that kept running out of memory. And so I set up some monitors on it and it would let me know when there was a problem and then I could go look and see what was going on with that thing. So anyway, also disclaimer, they're a sponsor. So uh, not of this show, but of a different show. But anyway, that that's kind of how I became aware of them and I really like the product. So. Yeah, APMs are, you know, some of the best things you can look at investing in. Like, it's not one of those things that you, I always find people add it, like, at the end yeah. of their application. But you should actually be thinking about trying to put it in early, because you can actually use it as part of your testing cycle to get insights into various things, like Datadog, New Relic, mm -hmm. Application Insights. Um, there's, like, a new thing that I keep on seeing um, that's, like, Honeycomb I.O. that I want to go look at uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and I agree with you on that. Um, and I found that a lot of times, you know, you'll, They'll tell you this one is the worst performing one, but then they'll also tell you, but it doesn't get hit very often. And so yeah. optimizing something else is going to give you more bang for your buck. And a lot of them are intelligent enough to tell you this is probably where you want to focus your attention next to help with scaling and speed and things like that and user experience. So loving that stuff. Well, if people want to follow you, you said you have a website or a blog, you know, maybe GitHub or Twitter, you know, where are you most active these days? Yes, I mean, you can always find from me just at Crandy Codes on Twitter is the most convenient place to find all the various things that I'm, I'm doing, generally tweeting out any various projects I put out on GitHub out on there. If there's any blogs we publish for functions and stuff like that, if I'm going to a conference, uh, you know, that's kind of where I do most of my news. All right, cool. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. I'm, I'm really enjoying getting these stories from people and just, you know, kind of seeing, hey, look, you know, this, this guy works for Microsoft, does all this cool stuff. But he kind of came into it like the rest of us, and he's 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 a guy that's doing awesome stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a great experience for me. I think that that my story began six years ago now, somewhere roughly, maybe a little bit longer than that. But it's kind of weird to kind of see how I've just kind of stumbled into to where I am, just kind of chasing after, having fun with programming. I think that's really what it is. If you really feel like you have a, a passion for programming, you're super lucky because you can use that passion to take yourself anywhere. Yep, couldn't agree more. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks again, and we will talk to everybody in a week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.